Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. On January 3rd, 2020, my mom became ill with an unknown virus that we now know as COVID. 40 days later, she was gone from this earth. In less than two months, my best friend, safety net, and the one person I would go to to get through the trauma had vanished. A beloved friend suggested I read the book Signs by Laura Lynn Jackson, saying it gave her comfort from the loss of her father. So I did. The book became my compass helping me bridge the gap between Earth and the ethers where my mom now resides. In many ways, I feel closer to her than ever before. It is my absolute honor to be speaking with Laura Lynn Jackson today about her work to help us all navigate grief and establish a connection with our loved ones who have passed. She is not just a best-selling author and medium with a Netflix series, but a teacher giving us all the tools to heal the losses we never thought we could. Welcome, Laura Lynn. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for that beautiful, loving introduction. And I'm just so moved by everything you just said, and especially about, you know, you connecting with your mom. It's so important. It's so beautiful to know that our relationships and that love that does not end with bodily death, relationships continue and being able to feel our loved ones around us and, and communicate back and forth and get signs and messages is, is just what I want everybody to be able to do. And you're doing it. And that's so fantastic. Well, you were certainly instrumental for that. And I thank you. I can't thank you enough. You know, I was really kind of left when that happened. I was going through so much and it was really unknown what she had. And And I always had, you know, I I think of myself, you know, like I had many signs through that actually. And just trying to deal with the fact that I kind of knew that she was going to leave, but not wanting her to. And, and then when it happened, I was just, you know, and I'm an only child, right? So I was Mm -hmm. just kind of just boom, you know, and my parents are long divorced. So I was just left with that. And again, she's the one person, you know, someone who you speak to, like, what, three, four times a day, and then they're just gone. And I, you know, grateful to have you here today because I think so many people have gone through this this year and will continue. And there's no manual in this world for this. Right, yeah. Right? But but now we have yours. So we have have (laughs) signs. And I think I encourage everyone, if you have lost a family member, a friend, anyone beloved to you, including a pet, Please pick up Laura Lynn's book. Book that Signs is just incredible. So can you start with this and just kind of, we're going to get into signs, but let us know like, what is a medium? What your work is and... Sure, sure. You know, it's definitely an atypical career and it's certainly not one that I thought I would end up doing. 
So a psychic medium is somebody who both perceives energy psychically. So when I read psychically, I am picking up on people's aura, people's energy field. And within that energy field is a whole abundance of information about their past, their present, their future, people they're tied to in the here and now, you know, information about what I call soul cycles or periods of learning on their life journey that they might be locked into or when another one might start. And then being a medium means using all those abilities of being open and reading energy. I'm also able to perceive energy that is no longer confined to a physical body. And they were all spiritual light beings who come here to earth to learn a collective lesson in love. And so earth is really a school. And many times we come back with the same soul groups and we almost have like these teams here on earth where we're trying to learn certain lessons. But while we're in these physical bodies, it's very confining. We're stuck to, you know, the roles of physics and we can only look in one direction at one time and, you know, be in one place at one time. But when we cross over, when we, when we cross, when we die, when we leave our physical bodies, our consciousness, that energy, that light energy is still very much intact in presence. It's as if we never really truly lose consciousness. What we truly lose is our physical bodies and we lose what I call the dunce cap of our brains, which is very limiting, which keeps us from remembering who we truly are as spiritual beings, where our true home is, which is on the other side and how profoundly interconnected we all are. And so a medium is somebody who can perceive the consciousness, the conscious energy of somebody who's no longer in their physical body and can communicate telepathically with that energy. And so I am both. (laughs) There's a saying in, you know, my field that all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. And what that means is that somebody can read energy, but not be able to get to what I call kind of that highest level of perception, which is being able to tune in, perceive the consciousness of somebody not in a physical body. But if you are a medium and you are doing that, well, then you are definitely psychic because you have to use your whole psychic toolbox of energy reading to get to that point. And so that is what what I do, you know, in the world, that is my soul mission. You know, it was a long journey for me to embrace that fully and get there. I think I had abilities since I was a child. It just took me a really long time to honor them properly and figure out how they were meant to be used on my life's path. I spent almost two decades as a high school English teacher and I was passionate about that and I loved that. But at the same time, I had these abilities and I found that my path was leading me to help people heal and more importantly, learn how to be able to communicate with their loved ones on the other side themselves. You know, I'm kind of the anti-business model. I, uh, as a psychic medium, I'm like, nobody really ever needs me. The teacher in me feels, okay, I'll, I'll do this and I'm not dismissing the power of a session and a reading. It's a beautiful, powerful thing and it should act as a tool to one's own connection. And I think the teacher in me likes to model that it can be done and then show the sitter or the person having the session or somebody who's even listening to, to this discussion know that they have those tools within themselves to connect with their loved ones. You know, it's opening to your, your mind and your heart to the belief and the knowing that our relationships with those that we love continue 
after they leave their physical bodies. You know, they're still so very present in our lives. And what's more is now they don't have to, you know, be stuck in a body so they can be in more than one place more than one time. They can see what's coming for us on our path. They can help guide us by sending us signs and messages. You know, we can ask for something from them to show us and we'll receive it. It's really a two-way communication system. So it goes beyond just this faith or this trust of knowing they're there because they are. You can also communicate back and forth. And the way that people get signs from their loved ones. I hear so many beautiful people share these beautiful stories of connection with me and they're mind boggling. They're so specific and in real time as they're asking and it's just unbelievable and so powerful and beautiful. You know, being a psychic medium, I feel like somebody could go to a psychic medium, have an experience, but when you have your own authentic experience of receiving a sign, it becomes an undeniable truth to you and it changes how you're living. It really does you said that everyone has their own way of communicating. And so I had taken uh, one of your classes and obviously read your book. And, you know, one of the thing was, it's like ask for a sign and, or a coin, like a quarter mm-hmm. or something like that. And it didn't necessarily work for me. Although I had said, <laughs> I had said, you're going to laugh. And you and I, and just so everyone knows, we chat and, you know, we text back and forth and I'll, I'll send Lorlin, like I have some incredible Signs. I haven't shared this mm-hmm. one with you though, but I had asked mom after your class to send me a peacock feather. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, it's not something that you're always going to Yeah, say. that's love, good. That's specific. Love feathers, right? So I, I don't know. I forgot about it. And I was with a friend and we were at an art exhibit and this is probably a week later and we're at an art exhibit and there was this gigantic car in the center of the room, that was the last thing we saw. And it was, you know, it was painted and it was a social justice exhibit, right? And mm-hmm. so it was hard and there was feathers all over it. And it was all peacock feathers. <laughs> and so oh I'll, my yeah, god, right? And I'll see these and I'll laugh. And I, and you know, and I say, oh, thanks, mom. I talk to her all the time. I mean, so everyone has their individual signs, right? Can you tell us oh, what some yeah. of those are? Or? Yeah, sure. And you know, it's, it's interesting. You said like, I tried this, but it didn't work for me initially. And I have some thoughts on that, that I'm going to share too, because I Please. think one of the most frustrating things for people is like, okay, I'm going to try this. And then they are on hyper aware, searching everywhere for it. And yeah. then they get very frustrated because they don't see it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's oftentimes that it's been sent to you in a way that you might have missed. And this is not like, I, I hate almost saying that to people because then they get very hard on themselves. Like, what do you mean I missed it? I've been like, but it's happened to me too. I've missed signs. And it's only on like, when I circle back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was right there. And I missed it. You know, so it can be a couple things, but one of the things that the other side will do immediately, those who cross will do immediately is they, they want us to know that they're still very much present and still very much, I'm going to put this in quotes, alive. And what by that I mean is like alive in consciousness, right? So that there is really no death and that they still love us and are present. They don't want us grieving, you know, and being stuck in grief. And so they start right away to send us what I call default signs to get our attention. One of the main ways they'll do that is they'll put coins in our path, like pennies, dimes, nickels. 
I am very scientifically minded, you know, I'm not a woo-woo thinker, which is ironic, right? Given what I do in the world, but I'm always working with scientists and I'm always trying to research and understand how does this work? How are they able to do that? And from my sense of that is, you know, when we return to uh, light energy, which is what we really are, I feel like it's somehow easier to manipulate small metallic objects. And maybe that's because metal is such a great conductor of electricity and with light, we're able to do that. But it's just interesting me in that sense why they put pennies, dimes, and nickels in our in our path. So it's interesting too, because sometimes it'll even have more significance if you look at the date on whatever the coin is. So I just tell people to pay attention to that. Other things that they'll do for default signs is their meth, they will mess with our electrical devices. So before the, the era of cell phones, right? They would flicker our lights, turn our TV on and off. They still do that, by the way. They love to flicker lights and so forth. But now that we have cell phones, oh my goodness, you can pay attention to words that change when you're typing in your text box. They'll get messages to us that way. Sometimes we'll get, you know, a call on a certain day from a number that doesn't really exist. We try to call it back. It doesn't exist. Or maybe it's on a certain anniversary day or a birthday or whatever it might be. And then they also send us creatures, you know, that use, I think, ones that use electromagnetic fields to navigate our earth because that's easy for them to kind of manipulate into our path. And so things like birds, butterflies, dragonflies, deer, bats, things of that nature, anything that uses electromagnetic fields. And then, of course, there are things like license plates uh, with messages. Sometimes if you see a truck drive by and there's like a message on that, you know, they'll pull out all the stops. They'll use anything they can to get through to us, sometimes little white feathers, It's just a matter of anything that's going to get your attention and make you think, huh, could that be a sign from my loved ones? And if you're having that, huh, question moment, it is a sign. It's like, because what they'll do too is they'll give us like this little nudge of energy. And so we'll start thinking about them and associate it with that sign. So that's how they first usually establish communication if we're not versed in understanding how to ask for and receive signs. But that's really what the book Signs is about. It's really like a guide, like here's what the other side wants you to know about how to communicate with them. You don't have to just stick with default signs. You can ask for any specific thing you want. And the more specific you make it, the better. And at the same time, it's a co-collaborative language. So what you might find is that your loved one on the other side might automatically send you things that they've chosen that you would associate with them where they were known for, right? So it's this two-way, beautiful, ongoing language that's developed. And just like if you were to learn a foreign language, you know, you learn it word by word, and then you string it together. And then you have so many words that you can communicate. And you know, asking for signs and asking for messages from the other side is very similar. You don't have to stop at one request. You can create a whole myriad of things you can ask for and receive, which makes it so beautiful. And then sometimes you'll get two of them combined into one together, you know, when they really want to show off from the other side. So just opening your mind and your heart to your ability to do that and recognizing when you get them can just be such a profoundly beautiful experience. And, and then I always say sharing that with others, sharing your signs, sharing what you got is so important. And it's the best way we could celebrate our ongoing love and relationship with our loved ones on the other side. It does. I share all of mine and everyone, it helps them to feel good and to, you know, remember her and it gives them hope. But the funny thing is, is that there's still so much doubt. And I'd love to talk to you about doubt. Why do people... Doubt that. I have a friend who 
she was sharing with me, her mother had passed and she was also too very close to her mom. Like I was, and had a very difficult time, like a whole year of grieving suicidal thoughts, like bad, you know, Mm, but yet she said to me after her mom had passed that every night, her mom would have a bottle of wine and they would take the cork and put it in a jar, like in a vase, right. That sat in her, her bedroom. And she was in the bedroom and one of the corks flew from the vase across the room. Like she said that flew. Oh my, now that's her mom really showing off. Like, right. That's, that's called PK psychokinesis, where we're able to affect a physical object with energy, thought energy, which is what her mom said. And she doubted it though. She doubted that. <laughs> of course that. she, she just, did. That is in your book. sense to me. Yes. So I can help explain that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and that is, such almost a knee-jerk response that most of us go through when we have a spiritual experience that doesn't fit our materialistic paradigm. So one of the things that happens when we first come, our souls first enter our bodies and we're born and we come to this earth, is that we're still hardwired to each other and the other side. So our beautiful light network is wide open, right? We're feeling the place we came from. We still feel very connected to that. You can call it the other side. Some people call it heaven. You can call it whatever you'd like. We're we're very connected to source, right? Now we're also wide open to feeling the energy of everybody that comes into our auric field. And when we are so young, we don't have language yet. And so some very interesting things happen for us, right? We actually are using all different parts of our brain throughout infancy, one years old, two years old, three years old, and and beyond. And it's one of the reasons I hear so many stories of young children recognizing in pictures uh, family members who they never met because that family member crossed before they were born, maybe a grandparent or a great-grandparent saying, oh yeah, I know him, or he, I've spent time with him, or his name is such and such. How could they know that? Because young children, before they really start formal schooling, are so open to the spiritual and have these connections and have this understanding and are super psychic, right? And very intuitive. You know, they might have dreams of a visitation from somebody, or they might make a statement about something that's going to happen. And some children, even if you look at a lot of the studies coming out of the University of Virginia, there's there's children, young children with what's called past life recall of remembering these specific and you know verifiable details of a lifetime previously. So it's very interesting as young kids, I think we embrace the spiritual, but the moment we start formal schooling, which in most countries is age five, six and seven. So let's say here in America, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, there's a process that happens and it's a shutting down and a locking out process. And what happens is that we are taught to use only one small area of our brain during all our waking hours. And that part is the frontal cortex. And this can be measured by electrodes. And, you know, I work with scientists, so they've, they've done what's called a QEG of my brain. And if you read I think it's in my first book, The Light Between Us. There's a whole chapter on that, looking at what my brain does when I'm normal and just in talking mode and awake. And it's the same as everybody's brain when they're awake, which is all my brain web activity is in the frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. Now, what that's in charge of is critical thinking, logic, analytical thinking, mathematical skills, language, and all the day-to-day stuff that we need to do to like get our physical bodies up and do that, right? The only time... 
our brains go offline after we get into that locked in process, which is usually finished by second grade. So usually by age seven, we've discarded our spiritual connections and we're locked into the frontal lobe, right? The only time that ever goes offline and allows the spiritual to come in usually is during sleep. But what ends up happening when we start using only our frontal lobe is we're locked into logic and we're locked into this materialistic model of existence that we've been taught, which basically states this, if you can't see it and touch it, it doesn't exist. Now, we know that's far from true. I mean, if we just want to look at a little tiny example, look at radio waves. They're all around us, but we get a radio tune in. Guess what? They're here. But if we can't see it, the materialistic model says it doesn't exist, which is it's just ridiculous in every way. And the materialistic model has been shattered. You know, anybody who's ever had a psychic or intuitive moment, you know, maybe thinking of somebody and then the person calls, there's no way that can fit into the materialistic model. And so what ends up happening is when things don't fit the paradigm of belief we've been raised to concretely like adhere to, we try to reject it. You know, meditation teachers call that the monkey mind. And it's like the monkey mind wrestles with our spiritual experiences. So when we get signs, our monkey mind wants to reject it because it can't fit into this materialistic model we've been trained into. So I'm going to briefly interrupt there for a second too, because it also reminds me of what we're going through in this pandemic. Those people who don't see it, who haven't experienced it, don't believe it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a great metaphor for that as well, right? Yeah. My friend calls COVID the phantom virus, which it is because people have such a hard time Uh, Maybe, and maybe this is training us, Laura Lynn, for what's to come. Like, you know, they say the great awakening, right? But like, if they haven't experienced it, there's a doubt, right? And so then therefore it must be fake. Wow. Interesting. Right. Gosh, that was just so... Yeah, and you know... Right? Yeah, those are, it's such a powerful connection you make because thoughts are energy too. And yeah. energy brings more energy, right? So you have a thought or you have a belief that you're adhering to, and then you take an action because of it. And actions create ripple effects in the world and it shows how interconnected we all are, right? But so there's some really interesting things with that too, especially with COVID. What you're describing is really selective ignorance, right? It's choosing to reject tangible proof that something exists because it doesn't fit your model. Yes. And then you see, you know, so often in the news over the past year, there were people who were very vocal in a media sense, right? Denying it. And then they got COVID and then they died of it too. And it was like, it was so heartbreaking, the, the level of ignorance that was there. And, you know, with COVID too, I think it's such a time of darkness and yet there's so much light in there too, in the sense that what it is teaching us and showing us, and it's a hard lesson, but it's showing us how interconnected we all are and how we belong to each other, and how we need to change our thinking and to embrace that, you know? So yeah, there are so many connections with that. Yeah, it's all connected, right? You brought up children, and so you said, you know, when we get to about the age of seven, that is just all frontal with cortex, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. That frontal so, lobe, it's all there. Frontal lobe. So is there a way to, like, if as parents, should we be more aware of this and try to maybe not allow that? Or what do you think? So it's, that's such a great question, right? Because we are physical beings, like we are embodied spirits, right? We're in bodies and we need to pay attention to the fact that we're here on earth. We need to, you know, do things like wake up and eat and function and solve math problems and communicate with one another. So we can't not use that part of our brain, but I'll share with you what the scientists who have studied my brain seem to tell me and how I feel that that 
can be used to help others access their spirituality. When they've mind mapped me, when they've done QEGs of my brain, when I'm in normal talking mode, and then when I go into a mediumship and psychic mode, what they've found is when I'm in normal talking mode, my brainwave activity is mostly normal, all in the frontal lobe, behaving normal. The moment I go into psychic or mediumship mode, I'm still fully aware and awake and I'm physically talking to them, but my brain looks like I am in the deepest of meditations. It's also been described to me as comatose because the frontal lobe, all the brainwave activity there silences like completely and different areas of my brain begin to light off and blow out their charts. Basically they're measuring, you know, brainwave activities. So like alpha gamma waves, all these things that mean a lot to them and that they can actually see on their electrode devices that they've hooked up. And they don't fully know what to make of it because according to how my brain looks to them, I shouldn't even be able to talk. I should be unconscious. And yet not only am I conscious, I'm accessing all these other ways of perceiving energy and it's being reflected in my my brainwave activity. And what those scientists have said to me is they've said, you know, there seems to be a switch that we all have, some sort of switch, energetic switch in our brains where we can turn off or tune down that frontal lobe and access these much greater parts of ourselves that connect us to this grid of light or this energy or like another dimension that's right here with us. You know, I always say the other side's right here on top of us. It's like a piece of paper. They're right here with us. Oh, and I love that. <laughs> yeah. And but so how- part of that is that we all have that switch. It's just that they say, I seem to know where it is and how to open and shut it. And so what I'm trying to do, I think, is get people to re-embrace what they came here with which is these incredible, you know, psychic and intuitive gifts. Everybody has this ability. It doesn't just belong to me. You know, everybody can do this and they can reconnect with their spiritual. They can try to quiet that like monkey mind chatter. And one really great way to start training yourself to do that is to dive into meditation because meditation absolutely will distract the monkey mind and allow more spiritual to come. Interesting. So I get a lot of downloads when I meditate. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so interesting. That's how I describe the information I get too, as downloads. Yeah. And when I meditate, I'm definitely, you know, shutting things out, but I, I go to meditation to get information and that's all my information. I've downloaded many things from that books, things I should read, things I should do that just came, you know, and I find that fascinating, but I don't, the switch that you're talking about, right? Where is it, Laura? Okay, so it will happen automatically. It's such a great thing. And and to kind of jump back to the question you're asking before, which is like, what should we be doing for our children? How should we be fostering this? It's the same for adults as well, right? Because we're really just grown children. So we just have to, you know, we want our kids to stay open to it. But for us who have already closed to it, we might want to reopen to it. And so it's the same thing. The very first thing to do is to declare energetically through your thoughts to the other side, I'm ready and I'm willing I'm opening my mind and my heart to receiving any information and any connection you want to give me. And being aware at the same time that we all have what I call a team of light on the other side waiting to help us. You know, it's God energy. The team of light is made up of three parts, how they've shown it to me. It's God energy, which is this force of love that is part of all of us and connects us all. Then we all have our own, what I call spirit guides throughout time and history. They've been, you know, spoken about religious contexts as guardian angels, you know, these angelic beings that we didn't know this lifetime, but they're just there to help us. And then anybody who's crossed to the other side, animals too, our pets, our loved ones, they're all there 
rooting us on, trying to get us on our highest path. So it's trusting that we have that opening to that and asking to be open to it. And then it's creating space to allow for what you're describing as the downloads. And some people feel very uncomfortable meditating or think that there needs to be a certain way to it. You know, studies have shown that a seven minute meditation is, is just as effective as, you know, a, a four hour one. It's, it's just making the space for that. And what I want to share is that a lot of listeners may already be meditating without even recognizing it. Because when we do things like we go for a walk, that's a form of meditation called a walking meditation. And when you do go for a walk, it might be a really interesting process just to kind of honor and open to your team of light and see what comes to you. But things like um, that will distract our monkey mind on a daily basis will allow for connection and, and us to get into meditative state. Things like taking a shower because your monkey mind's distracted, washing your hair, soaping yourself up, driving places. You can end up in a meditative state at times, washing dishes, you know, all these kind of things that will distract your physical body, but allow the kind of spiritual side to open will flick that switch inside. For me, the way I describe it is I get an inner screen and it's kind of like jumping into a loft. It's taking my energy and like shifting it slightly upward, like into like this raised jump. That's the way I describe it. So that's how I kind of access my switch, but everybody can do it. When I've run workshops and I do meditations, guided meditations, before doing them, you know, everybody's thinking, I can't do this. There's no way. And then have these profound connections and experiences because I'll usually bring them through a meditation to meet their loved ones from the other side and they'll be weeping and it'll be the most beautiful time of connection for them. You know, I often do something called remote viewing where I ask them to use their clairvoyance, their psychic vision to look at an object that they can't possibly see with their physical eyes and nobody ever believes they can do it. And then we do the activity and lo and behold, they've drawn the exact item that they couldn't see. So this is a very real thing and it's just a matter of making the space and opening to it and kind of trusting in the process, just being open to the process. So I can vouch everyone out there. I can vouch. So I did actually that you had held up a picture of a rocket and I drew mm -hmm. it and then that, I was just <laughs> so shocked by that. And right. I, you hadn't seen it. I had said, there's a target. I want you to draw it. And then after you drew it, then I showed the rocket picture and that's exactly what you had drawn without ever seeing it. Yeah. It was wild. It was wild. And I think, and I've also sat through your meditation and had an experience where my of random where my grandfather had come through, but then also my husband's father, who he had a very contentious relationship with. Mm -hmm. Last person I would ever think of wasn't right? in my mind, came mm -hmm. through and said, tell him I'm sorry. And oh, wow. Just yeah. Amazing. And it was amazing. Unfortunately, my husband didn't receive it that way. And so we mm -hmm. go back to the doubt there. And I think as you had said that we're here for our to get to our, our highest selves, right? And to open right. that up. And I don't know, maybe that left something with my husband. Do well, you, you know, it's a very individualized process and, and yeah. the part that he has to be ready for is to open his mind and his heart to embracing that. But what I will assure you of is that, you know, the other side will try to get through to their loved ones here in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes they'll use strangers to deliver messages to us, but his dad will keep trying and trying and trying and trying because it's very important when we cross to the other side and we do our life review, we see how we made people feel. Yeah. And we're very invested in trying to heal and correct and ask for forgiveness for what we've done. And that's a beautiful thing too, because relationships can continue to heal after 
somebody crosses. You know, if we project forgiveness to somebody on the other side, if we say in our thoughts, I forgive you, that's always felt and received and helps them on the journey. And if they ask us for forgiveness and we give it to, it's just, it's so healing and amazing. Especially if they apologize, I think, you know, sometimes when we're here on earth, there are certain individuals who are stuck in this kind of myopic view of their own lives and they don't see the bigger picture. And the moment they cross, they see what they did. And it's so important for them to own that and say they're sorry, which is kind of exactly what you're describing. Yeah, it was powerful. Yeah. You said pets are part of our our spirit guides. Can you talk about spirit guides? Because I also want people to understand, as I also got from you, is to that they want us to ask for help all the time. It's literally yes. like this store that is constantly open. It costs nothing and you can have whatever you want. So how do we talk to pets who we couldn't really talk to? I mean, sure. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting too, because just in terms of my terminology, when I talk about spirit guides, those are angelic beings who we didn't know this lifetime. They're from the angelic realm, right? And so usually we don't even necessarily know their names or what they look like. However, our loved ones, our pets, anybody we had this loving relationship who's crossed can also guide us. I just, I don't call them our spirit guides. It's just semantics that I'm using, right? But they're loved ones or animals that have crossed that can guide us. And so the really interesting thing about that too is that when, you know, all energy is very based in love, right? So people say like, how can you communicate with an animal that's crossed? They don't speak English. Well, it's the same way I can communicate with somebody's relative on the other side who never spoke English. You know, oftentimes when I'm doing a session, somebody might come through from the other side who let's say spoke Japanese, never spoke English. What they'll do is they'll let me hear a a moment of that language so I can identify it and say to the sitter, oh, I have your grandfather here and he spoke Japanese and never spoke English, but here's what he's saying. And then I will understand it fluidly because it's really this emotional language that I'm very rapidly translating into English. You know, it's you, just, you translate Japanese. You, you can, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to Japanese and understanding it. I will hear like the sound of the language or if it's Italian or Russian, I'll hear a snippet. So I'll understand what language it is. But then the way that the other side always communicates, it's an emotional language. Imagine that we were all communicating through just strings of emojis, but it was very clear, right? That's kind of how the other side communicates. And so that's how pets communicate to me too. It's this emotional, very rapid language that I turn into English. And so our pets, I think, sometimes are our greatest teachers of love while we're, they're here, right? They love us unconditionally. What, you know, what more than that can we ask for? And they're very much present and they will very much come around us when we're sad here. A lot of times when I do sessions, an animal on the other side will say, will tell me that there's a new pet here or that there's a dog here or a cat here. And will tell me like, oh, that animal sees me when I come around because animals here sense spirit. They can see things we can't with our physical eyes. And so it's funny because, you know, I'll say to the sitter, you know, you have a dog here who sometimes like goes around in circles and barks at something you can't see. That's because your other dog's coming to visit, you know, and you can't see it, but that's what's going on. And um, it's really, really beautiful. I remember, and it's, I think in my first book, there was a moment that, I was very like conflicted in my life about something and I was having just a a very difficult day. I was feeling really sad and I had my daughter who's now 21, but she was four at the time with me. And she turned to me and she said to me, mommy, I just want to tell you your dog Fuzzle is here. He's laying down right by your feet. And she had never met my little white dog Fuzzle. Fuzzle had crossed before she arrived, but, and she had no idea I was feeling this way inside, but it was just, you know, she was a medium for me at that moment. It was so beautiful because the other side can't, always help us avoid 
things we need to go through here. We're always learning soul lessons and we're always intertwined with others, but they're always present for us and they're always beaming us with love and they always want to let us know they're around. So pets are included in that too. And the moment we cross, you better believe your pets will be bounding up to you. They'll be like the first ones to greet you, you know? That's really beautiful. So, okay, which leads me, this is a great segue for what if you had a contentious or even a very traumatic experience? I mean, I had a dog who... Unfortunately, we had to put him down because he bit mm-hmm. our son and he he was a chow and I kept him as long as we can, you know, mm-hmm. and it was awful. It was a horrible decision, but we had no idea what his response would be. And my son was three and my son mm-hmm. bumped into him and he bit his arm. Right. And, yeah. And we had friends over and he was like that. You just, you know, you never knew if he was going to bite you or mm-hmm. not. What, what about, or that, and, you know, I'm talking about dog, but I, you know, people have this with you know, Laura Lynn. Yeah. So when we're, we're here in like the physical embodiment, whether you're a dog or a human being, you know, there's a lot of physical things swimming into our spiritual selves, right? Underneath it, we're pure spiritual beings, but there can be physical issues that go on that conflict with that. And so what you're describing about the dog too, that was a physicality issue, not as much a spiritual issue. And what I will tell you and what I've seen time and time again from the other side, any decision we make that is based in love yeah. is always the highest path. And so on the other side, that dog doesn't have those same contentious, aggressive issues it had when it was here. And it won't make sense to us when we're here because we don't have the full picture, but on the other side, it does. What I can tell you is that everything brought into our path is about a collective lesson in love. So it's stretching us to love in different ways or see love in different facets or find a place of unconditional love and understand that it's It's not always as it looks. So maybe acting on something or doing something, making a decision based in love might on paper look a certain way, but internally, you know, you made that decision in love. And so what I will tell you is, you know, one day when you cross, a dog will be very calm on the other side and nothing but loving and it will have been sent into your life journey in order to teach a lesson or be part of a lesson. What would you say to someone who lost a child or even, you know, there's so many parents who lost loved ones. Yeah. You know, murder and to, you know, horrible things going on right now in our world. And I mean, they always have been there. Right. But right, right. What, how what can we that? make sense of that? How yeah. can we make sense of the darkness and the loss yeah. and the tragedy? Because while we're here on earth, there is no way any of that will ever make sense. Again, our brains are very limiting, right? And so what we see and feel like it just can't make sense to us at all. All I can share with you is what those who have crossed to the other side have shared with me. So children on the other side, people who have been murdered on the other side, what they've told me is that everything really is about love. And I know that sounds crazy and can't possibly make sense to us when we're here. But for example, a child, let's say a child crosses at like four years old. How can that ever make sense? Right. This child was beloved and like, we can't make sense of it. What that child on the other side has told me is that I came here so that my soul could learn a lesson and feel unconditional love. It wasn't about length. It was just about capturing that feeling feeling so profoundly loved. That was my whole soul lesson. I wasn't, you know, meant to stay long to feel that. I was just meant to feel that. And that in my parents' life, I was meant to be this profound point of love that would teach them about how deep 
their love could go for somebody, how unconditional that could be. And a lot of times it's still the relationship that continues because those children on the other side watch us. You know, they watch over their families. They help and do things together and anything we ever do in their names, they're part of. When it comes to somebody who's been murdered, and I think that's in, I don't know if that's in my first or second book where I talk about a young woman who had been murdered by her ex-boyfriend and the family here on earth knew it was him, but they couldn't prove it. And the father had wanted to get revenge. And that girl on the other side, that young woman said to me, we're not meant to feed into the darkness while we're here. You're not meant to avenge my death. You're meant to just focus on your love for me and I'm still with you. And this will all make sense when you cross, but you can't possibly understand it now. You know, and I think a lot of times when we look through at horrible things, let's say, you know, that go on globally or affect a vast amount of people, like how can these things make sense? We need to take a giant step back and realize our life is not just about our life. We're spiritual beings who have agreed to a collective lesson and we're only as strong as our weakest link. And so some of us have very difficult paths that we walk on in order to teach others lessons. Yeah. You know, and I think those people are very, very evolved souls. Yeah, I I would say that too. You want to see an evolved soul, look at someone who's on the street starving, right? Mm -hmm. And chose to do that and to walk, walk that path and let alone, you know, harm another person. Interesting. So do you believe in reincarnation, Lorlan? So, you know, I was raised Lutheran and I was raised believing, you know, God was a white man with a white beard and a white robe. Yeah. But I very quickly began to, through doing this work, learn so much from my readings and from everything that was being shared. And I very quickly began to understand that earth was a school and that we have more than one life. So yes, I do believe in reincarnation. And I do believe that people are here for different lessons on different levels in different groups and different teams. It's why sometimes you'll meet somebody and you just feel like you've known them forever. Or you just, you know them, even though you don't really know them, that's soul recognition. Sometimes that will happen in a negative way. When you meet somebody and be like, I do not want to be near you. You're not my cup of tea. Like, <laughs> Maybe don't dive into how you knew that person from the past life, but trust your intuitive pulls and what happens there because they do think that we come back together. You know, and if there's a really wonderful book, Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. Yes. You know, that is my go-to that I recommend everybody read because it really helps complement and explain how earth is a school and how there's really nothing scary about that either. You know, we, we love each other. Our souls love each other and we come back together and we experience love in different ways. And, you know, the other side tells me too, time is all really happening at once. And, you know, my brain can't wrap around that concept because again, I've got this dunce cap of a brain right now, but what they tell me is time really all happens at once. And in, in that regard, the past affects the future, but the future can affect the past. And what's really interesting is quantum physics about two years ago proved that, that the future affects the past. I mean, there's, it's undeniable. So for example, like that experiment alone destroyed the materialistic paradigm of belief. And yet we're still not <laughs> acknowledging that materialism isn't accurate. So we're slow to adopt, you know, new ideas. You know, there was a time that it was like, oh, the earth is the center of everything or, oh, the earth is flat. And it took a really long time for us to discard that notion and embrace a different 
belief system. And I think, you know, it's very much the same when it comes to our concept of time, when it comes to our concept of what our souls are here for, reincarnation, all those things. But, you know, if anybody's interested in exploring it more, again, I'm not based in woo-woo. I'm based in science and research. And I suggest highly to go look at the studies coming out of the University of Virginia, very highly accredited lab there that examines evidence for this. It's profound. There's also a series on Netflix called Surviving Death, which has, I think the final episode is on children with near-death experiences. So episode six, check that out. You know, research this, read books on the topic. It's, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. And one of the things that you also say is, is that art is very powerful. And that one of the greatest ways we can connect with beyond and and with love is to look at art. Why is this so powerful? Yeah. So, you know, that's a message I understood very early on. You know, as a former English teacher, I spent almost 20 years in a high school English classroom. I was always dealing with art on a daily basis through the form of literature. And when we would explore literature, we would talk about it in the present because energetically speaking, a work of literature is a living, breathing thing, right? It's something to engage in, invites you in and so forth. And all art is that way. All art is really a portal of energy, right? And no artist ever works alone. And so there's always this team of light that works with and through an artist here. It really, an artist opens and downloads, right? And just, it comes through the artist and and they create something. And then other people can experience that work of art. You know, whether it's a movie or a painting or a sculpture or music, they can experience that art and they can connect energetically to it. And they connect energetically in many layers, right? So they connect backwards from their own experiences into the artist's energy, into this the source of where it came on the other side, right? So it's this divine energetic opening and art can reach people and shift ideologies in a way that other forms can't. And so if you look at societies throughout time and history who made these giant jumps and advancements ahead and found like their highest path, it's always in times of where art was embraced and celebrated. And we just need to do that more here. We really do. You know, the thing is too, I think in this kind of society we're raised in, which is very materialistic in and of itself, it's like competitive. And if you're not an expert at something, well, then don't do that. Find what you're an expert in so that you can make money doing that. And the thing with art is it's not even really about being an expert. The true value of it is about diving in and exploring and how creating and doing that art will change you internally. Because I guarantee you what happens is you will link with this source of light on the other side. You will always work with a team of light. It will come through you and it transforms you as it is being birthed out of you. So it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. It's an experience you just need to embrace. And I don't think we make enough time here on earth to explore and celebrate and play in this kind of art field that we need to be. In the same way that we, we're so distanced from nature, we don't make take enough time to go connect with nature, which is so inherent in all our beings. You know, we, most people don't know when the next full moon is. And it's so interesting because full moons, like they move tides and our bodies are almost what 70 something percent water. And we ignore that it's having any effect. We are so in tune with nature on a cellular level. And then we distance ourselves. Oh, so, why is you know, that? Why? <laughs> because we get stuck in this materialistic mindset of like, build, 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 do, do, do. We forget to play. We forget to do art. We forget to engage, you know? And then there are these amazing studies about what nature can do for you. You know, I would say like 
doctors in Scotland prescribe walks for their patients and they have it, they, it's measurable effects. So you can also oh, yeah. measure the effects of negative ions coming off like the earth. If you walk barefoot for 20 minutes, 90 minutes later, your blood is thinner, your sleep wake cycles have been, you know, regulated your, it just balances you in such inflammation has been reduced. And this is all verifiable, scientifically studied peer, you know, review journal published three, 30 years of research on this. And yet we don't even talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it it's something mind. we need to really refocus on. Prisoners uh, at Rikers Island, they had a community garden there that they would work in the garden. And the, those who worked in the garden never returned to prison. The chances of them are coming back were nil versus those who had, you know, repeat entry and, you know, working with land and gardening. It's nature. Yes. Oh, my God. That is so fascinating. Is that a study you read? Or was yeah, no, it's that? yeah, that's also yeah, it, it happened. And I don't think they have the garden anymore. Yeah, because I, I do a and lot. And how of, sad is that, right? It's so sad. It's so sad. Do you know the artist uh, Hilma F. Clint? Do you know her? No. Have you heard of her? Okay, I'm going to send it to you. Um, she's an artist, a Swedish artist, who created these incredible paintings from 1906, and I think you'll find her fascinating. They're, oh wait, was this a spirit art? Yeah, it's yes, yeah. I do know. Yes, mm-hmm. incredible, right? And it's so um, interesting because I feel like my guides have been like, Laura, we're telling you this we want to do things through you, go pick up like canvas and paint. And I'm like nervous to do it, but I feel like that's a thing. It can come through people. No, you have to, you have to come on. It's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're coming to the end. I know you're booked for years. Like I don't even think Beyonce could get an appointment with you. So <laughs> I want to know where we, we can buy your books, right? We can take your classes and learn to be more intuitive. Tell me where we can find you and how we can do this. Sure. So, you know, I'm on Instagram by my name, Laurel and Jackson. I'm on Facebook. I have a website, laurelandjackson.com. And on that website, I have an events page. And so if you go to the events page, you're always going to see where I'll be next. Or, you know, during this the last year, I've done a lot of stretched out of my comfort zone and I've done a lot of online things. And so I recorded a series of workshops that anybody anywhere in the world can access, which I love because it created like this larger classroom, right? Sometimes it's really hard to be physically present. I have a workshop coming up, in-person workshop coming up um, October 8th, 9th, and 10th at Omega in Rhinebeck, New York. And I'm planning some other things, you know, it is so hard because I have this wait list. It's been closed for over five years now as I slowly get through it. So I can only do a few readings a, a week or I get energetically just depleted. But right before, you know, the COVID shutdown, I had started to do what I call gallery readings. Like, so a two hour reading where maybe, you know, a certain amount of people could come and I just get to as many people as I could. And that was really my way to try and reach more people and be able to connect with people. But I've been toying with the idea of maybe just trying to do, and I, this is so far out of my comfort zone, but this is what I've been thinking, maybe trying to do an Instagram live where I just try to read people. And then we just like choose a cause to support, like let's help support this cause. And I'm just going to do, you know, readings for whoever I can over the next hour on Instagram live or something. We're going to have to see about that. I don't know. You know, I love reaching people and I love, you know, talking about this, but most importantly, more than reading for people, I like teaching people that they have this within themselves to connect, that they don't ever really need me, you know? I mean, I think that would be incredible, but I also think from what you've told me that it might be like, there could be a million people there and you wouldn't know, you know, 
I would love it personally, if I could ask for anything, is it more classes on how we can access this part of it? Because I think it's so important to the collective to, you know, in, as you said, learning that we're all one and that we come from a love source and you are a teacher in that you help us to connect with that. So that's my wish. Thank you. That's my wish too. I really, you know, I got a download from my guides about two years ago saying, yes, you're a psychic mean, but you're really here as a teacher. You used to be teaching in the English high school classroom and now you're teaching in this classroom of the world. And, and I was so thrilled with that because that's always how I felt. I felt like that's the highest honor I could ever have to be a teacher. Being a teacher means I'm also always a student at the same time. You know, we're always learning from each other. So I welcome that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, all right. Last question. (laughs) All right, here it is. Last question I ask everyone. So you hold a lot of space for others and this isn't something you have to do. Like you, you have this choice, (laughs) right? You could just not do it. And as you said, it takes a lot of energy. It's, you know, it's a lot what you're doing. You're holding space for people, you know, who are coming to you with looking for answers. What keeps you getting up each morning and continuing this and being the change, Laurelyn? You know, it's so interesting because I feel like in so many ways, I'm in a constant state of what other people would refer to as prayer. So I feel this constant connection with the other side. And because of that, it keeps me focused so greatly on love. And it also lets me know that we won't always understand it here, right? We might see things in very limited ways. But what I know is that no matter what I'm going through that day or whatever I'm going to be met with, it's always going to be about ultimately a lesson in love. You know, and I also feel that the magic, the magic of connection, the magic of the universe dreaming bigger than we can, how loved, how watched over we are, I feel that on a daily basis. And so that helps me navigate anything. In a very concrete way, things that I love that bring my energy, you know, light and peace and joy are going out in nature, going for walks. And I love cooking, things like that, experiencing music and just being around people whose energy is loving and wonderful and meeting new people. That's always the best part of life, I think, is being open to who whose energy you're going to meet next and how they're going to change you and how you're going to change them in small ways you might not even recognize, but they're profound. So I love that question. Oh, thank you so much, Laurelyn. You're such a gift. And thank you for this gift of being on Be The Change on my little podcast that could. I am grateful <laughs> and always grateful for all your insight and what you've done for me and helping me get through my grief. So thank you so wow, much. I'm so honored to know you and you're such a light worker and, and I feel very honored to have been on your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.